Evening all, welcome to the Pyramid Podcast, where three lads discuss all things the English football pyramid. On today's episode, we'll review the Champions League action, including the 3 0 and one all draws from Man United and Newcastle against Galatasaray and PSG. We'll preview the weekend's Premier League action with Man City versus Tottenham and Newcastle versus Man United, the standout fixtures. We'll look at the main results in the midweek EFL action, including Pyramid Pod Cup holder Southampton's game against Bristol City. And we'll finish up with Laura, who will talk us through Yeovil's upcoming FA Cup tie versus Wrexham and some of the other round two fixtures. I'm your host, Alex Murphy. And once again, I'm joined by Tom Gallagher and Tom Lawrence. Tom, I'll come to you first. So Man United, 2-0 up, 3-1 up uh, against Galatasaray. A bit of a story of their Champs League campaign so far, letting the lead slip again and, and drawing 3-0 and um, looks like out the Champs League, you'd say. Yeah, look, it, it's, we played five games now, haven't we? We've only won um, the home tie against Copenhagen and that was thanks to an Andre Onana last-minute penalty save. So the reality of this group is that we just don't deserve to go through. Um, I had a look last night. We, we've scored nine goals away from home. So we scored three in each of the games and we've got just the one point. So um, to be honest, much of the blame has to be put on the shoulders of um, Andre Anana. He's had a bit of a stinker in the in the Champions League. And I've, I've had a little look at a couple of the stats about his um, Champions League performances. And actually, it's not just for Man United that he's struggled, even though obviously he got to the final last year with Inter. Um, but since his first season in the Champions League, which I believe was 2019, he's made seven errors leading to um, opposition goals, um, which is more than double any other goalkeeper in that period. So he's got a howler in him. He's got a howler in him. And the two last night were shocking. And the worrying thing to me as a United fan is not so much the errors, but like the way they look because it just looks so unorthodox. And like the way he went to punch that second free kick, I almost like I'm looking at it going, what are you even trying to do? So it's not just the fact that he's almost doing the correct technique, but not getting it right, if you know what I mean. It's like almost like he he doesn't know what he's doing. So that, that's a big worry. Um, the game itself, I thought it was great, to be honest. The game, it was like a basketball game. Um and United, even even with Onana's mistakes, United should have won, but couldn't finish a couple of those chances at the end. I think even more disastrously, though, is that it looks like they're going to have to win against, but well, they're going to have to win against Bayern Munich to stand any chance of going through the Champions League, but to also stand any chance of now going through into the Europa League as well. So it could be completely bottom off the group and out of all of Europe. And I think when the draw was made, we knew Galatasaray would be a hard away fixture, but the group kind of looked like one that we should be getting through, albeit Bayern Munich likely to win the group. Yeah. And if you look at, if you look at, so the Galatasaray game, I think we were sitting comfortable and then at home and then, um, was it Onana made a couple errors leading to uh, like that that error for the Arcadia? Casemiro sent off. Yeah, and Cas and the pass for Casemiro got sent off. It feels like we've we've got we've sabotaged ourselves quite a lot in this group, and, and obviously we were two 0 up in the Copenhagen game. Rashford gets sent off. We were two goals up last night, and then Onana throws one in. We're three one up. Then Onana throws another one in. So. No complaints if we go out of Europe altogether, mate. We've just not been good enough. It is just one of those things. Um, Champions League is ruthless business. If and to be honest, all season we've 
we've struggled defensively and we've looked quite easy to play against. We've conceded 33 goals in all competitions this season, which is the most in United's opening 20 matches um, of a season since the 60s, 1962. So yeah. it's obviously we're quite easy to play against and obviously the goalkeeper throwing a couple in doesn't help. Yeah, a couple of points from me, if I may. Um, if you go back to the very first podcast I think we ever recorded... We had a chat about Andrea Nana because I think he just signed for Man United. And if you listen to what one of us said, I think it was me. You were in for a very erratic keeper that had made quite a lot of mistakes in quite high-profile games before. And I think looking at your away form in the Champions League, I know you just talked about the goals, Tegel. 4-3 against Bayern Munich, 3 all against Copenhagen, 3 all against Galatasaray. You've actually played with quite a lot of freedom and um, free-flowing movements going forward. You've been one of the best teams to watch in the Champions League, attacking-wise. you scored some great goals and you've been really good value to watch every week. But that's a pattern, isn't it? That's a pattern whereby you've got a player making big errors in the biggest games. And that's the one thing that you can't do when you're a goalkeeper and you're going to get found out for it. So I actually think that United have got a lot to be happy about from what you've seen in the Champions League performances. In terms of last night, brilliant that Garnacho's doubled down on his goal from the weekend and it'd be great for him to go on a run of form now. Um, although whether he keeps his place with Rashford back in at the weekend, I don't know. And brilliant goal from Bruno Fernandes again. And like I said, it's been a really good watch, but you've just had an Achilles heel, haven't you? And it, the problem is with Anana is, even when he makes like quite good saves, they always look weird. Like yeah. he always punches the ball back into like the middle of the goal or something. He never tips it wide. He'll like tip it up or flap it back into the box. And you just watch him and you think, I'm not quite, it's like you're, you've been, all of your career, people have obviously seen you think you've got something, you're a cat, you can get there, but it's like the fundamentals of goal goalkeeping and getting the ball away from danger. He hasn't been taught or he hasn't managed to develop in his skills. And it's just surprising that, you know, that hasn't been picked up on by the Man United recruitment team. But then again, maybe it's not given how that's gone for the last sort of 10 to 15 years. Did do you boys, did you see Barca Jim's tweet about Anana? He said he's the world's first um false one. Right. Which uh, which is like, oh, cause because he's he's good with he's good with yeah. his feet, isn't he? But yeah, it, it, it's like an outfield player that's good in goal, but not as good as an actual goalkeeper. That is what it's like. So, yeah, false one's quite nice, actually. Yeah, it is quite, actually. Like, I think Rooney used to go and go in training. I think he used to have plenty about him in, in net, Rooney. But it's like, you don't really want that to be your £50 million number one that you've signed. But uh, I think the, the closing point there is, is that you're bang on. His good saves are still don't look right. He doesn't save the ball like other goalkeepers save the ball. Uh, Everton... There was a save from Calvert-Lewin, I think, which he tipped into the path of McNeil and it took Kobe Mainu to come off the line. There's been other instances of it of in the Premier League. And yeah, it, it's, his footwork's terrible, it looks like. And mm, yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised, actually, if the um, Turkish keeper that we signed doesn't get a little go soon, especially if Onana's going to carry on with this. I'm going to the African Cup of Nations now which I think when we signed him, he was retired from international football, falling out with the manager. I don't think that was expected, signing a, a new keeper, because you need your number one there all season, really, don't you? Um, you don't tend to have African keepers as as 
number ones in the Prem or probably for other major clubs just because of that. You don't have your keepers leave mid-season. So I'll be intrigued to see what happens over the next month or so over the festive period with Onana. Move on to one of the other uh, Premier League sides, Champs League games. Uh, Loro, PSG won, Newcastle won. I think for 96 minutes, uh, looked like the perfect kind of away performance from Newcastle. Some call it smash and grab. Some just say perfect away performance I alluded to. But another um, VAR decision for PSG got a penalty and Mbappe scored it. Just your thoughts on if it was a penalty and just a bit on Newcastle's performance. I thought, obviously, it's a good performance to go there and keep a clean sheet for... Well, they should have kept a clean sheet. I thought they were quite lucky. I mean, there was a barrage of chances for PSG and Mbappe could have scored three or four on another night. But being lucky to have a clean sheet does not excuse a VAR decision like that. And when I first saw it, I thought to myself, I've seen them given... Like, I don't want to see handball given for that and I don't want it to see it... I don't want it um, to be given as a penalty. However, I feel like we've seen as softer ones given in the Premier League... But then looking back on it, and I actually didn't know this rule, that if it deflects off another part of your body and hits the arm, then that's not handball. What I don't understand uh, is... In the Champions League, that's not the rule. Right, so that's not the rule. No, so in the Champions League, like you've seen that UEFA have um, suspended the VAR official, um, didn't you, for the Wednesday's game. And then basically they acknowledged that they made a mistake on that goal because Livramento's hand was in a natural position. Not because right, okay. it not because it hit his chest and okay. then went onto his hand. See, cool. the Champions League and UEFA rules on handball is all to fuck anyway, I believe. But that the reason why that wasn't a handball in terms of the, in, in UEFA's laws is because his hand was just by his side in a completely natural position. So it shouldn't have been a handball. Right, OK. In that case, I actually don't think the UEFA had to come out and apologise, to be honest with you, because I didn't think it was that natural. His arm was coming down. And I always say, I'm not saying, I was still not saying I want to see a penalty given for it, but I always say that if the ball hits the hand in the box, I think it should be, you know, unlucky to the uh, to the defender rather than unlucky to the attacker. Um, and is is he st has his hand coming down on the ball stopped that ball moving in the direction that might have caused a chance for PSG? Maybe not, but... What I was going to say is it is an absolute corrupt decision if the VAR looked at it and not seen that it had come off another part of the body. But if that's not the rule in UEFA, I'm actually not as outraged by that as everyone else is because I, I always say this. I saw one given a few years ago against PSG for Man United where they took a free kick and someone in the wall turned around and it hit the back of their arm. That to this day is still the worst one I've ever seen. So maybe the law of averages are evening up for PSG. I'm lucky for Do you know what, Laura, as well? You're bang right. And that, that decision there, that um, I think it was Dalot who smashed it into Kimpembe. And that that one decision there is the start of all of this because it, it cannoned off Kimpembe's chest and then hit his elbow or his, or his arm. And it was no way on earth a penalty. But obviously, as a United fan, you just take those and run. Yeah. But yeah. ever since that decision, they've almost tied themselves in knots. And, and now yeah. every single one of these weird little, like, cannons or anything that touches the arm, it's a handball. And it's, I, it's terrible because even though you're right in, in suggesting maybe, yeah, the law, if it was the law, you're not angry. But the law's wrong. Do you know what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah, no, I agree with that. I agree with that. I agree with that, Laws. Right. And another good point you made there, you sort of said if it goes in Man United's favour, you don't really care. They were talking on Talksport this week about you never see a manager come out when a decision's gone for them and say, by the way, just want to say, I know it went in our favour today, 
but I thought that was absolute crap from VAR. And I don't know if we're ever going to see that, but that, I think that'd be a really strong thing for someone to come out and say, look, that penalty was never a penalty. Obviously, it's worked in our favour today and we've scored a goal, but that shouldn't happen. And maybe that will put more pressure on, you know, the PGMOL in the in England or whatever to get things right. But we don't want to get harp on about VAR too much. Obviously, Newcastle were unlucky last night, but I, I think they've still got a glimmer of a chance of getting through, haven't they? Yeah, I think they've got to beat uh, AC Milan at home, which is feasible. And then PSG can't beat Dortmund because that point yeah. kept PSG above them. So it's, it, it's a better situation than United's. That's why that's why it's magnified as well, because that one VIR decision, if that hadn't happened, it would be completely different, wouldn't it? Newcastle would have two more points, uh, PSG would have one less, and they could probably draw to get through or something like that. So it's unlucky all round. But these things happen, don't they? I don't I don't I think there was a, a lot more outrage over that decision because of the, you know, Champions League last minute, big game, everyone wants the underdog to win. But I think we've seen just as bad ones in the Premier League, to be honest with you. I'd um I'd really like to see Newcastle come third in that group actually, just because I, I think that their knockout phase in the Champs League would end fairly quickly. But the Europa League knockouts are shaping up to have Liverpool, would it be yeah. Brighton potentially, West Ham maybe, United if they beat Bayern Munich. Bayern Munich drew nil nil with Copenhagen last night, Tomo. So I don't know if they're playing second string in the Champs League now they've won the group or not. Yeah, but... for, pure, for pure entertainment reasons, potentially, yeah. But, I mean, this is going to sound so boring on a podcast, but for United, Man United, it's better if the English teams do better in the Champions League for the coefficient, because then potentially this season, five teams will qualify. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point, actually, yeah. And I know that's so boring to say, and we're talking about coefficients, Swiss rules and all this stuff, but we need the English teams to do well in Europe in order to sort of get five places next year, so. I'm a huge we... man. Yeah, we being Manchester United, not the Pyramid Podcast. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God, I hope Newcastle go through. <laughs> uh, just a roundup of the other um, results in the Champions League for English side. So a lot more plain sailing for Arsenal and Man City. Uh, Arsenal won 6-0 versus Lons. And Man City actually had a bit of jeopardy uh, in a game. Uh, they were 2-0 down against Leipzig, but went on to win 3-2. And I, if they hadn't already won their group, they definitely uh, have now, I think. So they've both um, sailed through. And we'll move straight into uh, the Premier League and start with Man City versus Tottenham. And Lauro, I think there's been a few sort of performances now against Man City where there's almost a bit of a let's go at them. And if there's one team that that kind of blueprint is cut out for at the minute, it's Spurs. So do you think they're going to go to the Etihad and just have a go? Yeah, definitely, because that's Big Ange's philosophy, isn't it? He said he wouldn't change even if he had four men. I'm really pissed off this weekend that Spurs aren't, haven't got a full deck of cards, yeah. because if all their players were fit, this would be such a good game. Tottenham have got a really good record um, against Man City. They must have got more points off them, I think, than they've won at the Etihad a couple of times. I remember Kane scoring a couple of headers probably last season, maybe the season before, and they are a little bit of a... Um, I saw you written down in your notes, Tottenham sort of have the blueprint to beat Man, uh, Man City, and just... Um, tying in with this, the game last night against RB Leipzig, City are l lovely going forward sometimes. And some of their forward play last night was brilliant. They deserve the goals. They obviously deserve to win. But both goals, both goals was one long ball that took out nine outfield players. And it left, I can't remember the guy's name for RB Leipzig, but he spun the last defender and went through and scored on both occasions. This sort of situation keeps happening. 
whereby City are becoming a little bit easier to play against and a little they're giving more encouragement to the opposition teams, in my opinion. And I've said it a couple of times this season already. We've dropped points against Chelsea, we've dropped points against Liverpool, we've lost to Wolves, which I called before. This isn't just luck. And I think Tottenham with a full fettle would be going to Man City on Sunday with a very, very good chance. As it is, I still think they'll be dangerous because you still got the likes of um, Son, who's playing really well at the moment, and he'll be wanting to score after having a hat-trick of disallowed goals last weekend. But I just think that City might be a little bit too strong the other way for a back four of Tottenham, which is made up of entirely full-backs, I think, at the moment. Yeah, Laura, you're, you're bang on when you say Spurs have got a, a strong record against City. Since 2015, Tottenham have actually got a better record than Man City. So they've won nine, lost eight, and drawn two. And when you consider seven of those years have been under Pep Guardiola and they've been winning leagues and stuff, it's almost unheard of that Pep Guardiola has got a a negative record against the club. Um, I completely agree with you. I do think if it was if it was Madison was there and and um, Van der Ven, it would be a great game. Um, I just think City will be too strong. I actually want to start a petition and um, start every Manchester City game. 2-0 2-0 down um, because then it makes them fun. And you are right. Like Ruben Diaz basically had a stinker and it was that Lewis or Lois Appender, the Belgium striker who looks like a proper number nine, absolutely rapid. Um, he yeah. scored both goals, but it was, it was mainly Ruben Diaz's fault. And if he cleans that up, they won't, they'll be fine. Um Look, it's a shame. It is like I completely agree with you, Laura. It's a shame that that Tottenham aren't going full strength. I just think Ange is going to go out and die on his sword and get battered. Yeah, but oh, that would be good for us to watch because that could be like a six-seven-three. Yeah, you know what I mean. Hopefully, yeah. there'll be plenty of goals. Phil Foden was absolutely class last night, by the way, as well. Uh, like I was just watching the highlights before we come on, and when he's at his best, it's he's actually quite frustrating because he doesn't always. He sort of always seems to play well, but doesn't always have that kind of effect. But last night, he was imperious. Looked unbelievable. And if he could play like that all the time, then he'd definitely be in the England starting lineup. But as it is, he needs to do it more often. Yeah, definitely. And Tomo, Benton Kerr, a player that you spoke about, is it right he's out for three months again now, like after that tackle from Matty Cash? Yeah, he's out for yeah two and a half, three months, which is a massive shame to him. I think it's also... I've just had a look there at the uh, the gossip columns and we, we talk about that PM Emil Hoiberg and he looked like he was guaranteed to leave, but he'll probably stay now. Um, but you ex- you expect Basuma to come back in um, because he's not suspended anymore. So that's a massive bonus for them. Yeah. But yeah, the injuries and the suspensions, etc., are piling up. But I think Romero's back as well. That's a bonus. So uh, am I talking myself into... I'm talking myself into a great game, but I still think City will batter them. Yeah, all right. Well, I, I think probably full outs there for a City win, but high scoring affair, uh, hopefully guaranteed. Um, two teams we touched on from Champs League, Newcastle versus Man United. Tomo, Newcastle put it all in on Tuesday night in Paris, um, but obviously came came away with a point. United, a uh, day later in Turkey on a wet pitch, put it all in for free. Or do you think there'll be a bit of kind of legginess and some injuries from both sides that might have a sway on this game? Yeah. Well, yeah, definitely. I've, the, the interesting thing about that Newcastle game was they didn't make a sub, not one sub. And you rarely see that, don't you? But 
that just goes to show how decimated they are with injuries. And I had a look, and the only player who could potentially come back for them is Sean Longstaff, who's got who's struggling with an injury and is touch and go basically. Um, the thing is, we spoke about this on Monday's pod, didn't we? They they've won five in a row at St James's Park. They've got something special going on there. When like when the crowd gets going, it's raucous. It's going to be Saturday night under the lights. Um, They've beat us two times in a row since we beat them in the League Cup final. So it feels like they've got a number a little bit um, at the minute. Um, I just can't, I can't not back Newcastle at home, even though they're like decimated with injuries. I just, I just can't not back them. I think they just need to shoot. Yeah. Just need to shoot from anywhere. And like the last thing you want, and I know we seem to talk about this on every single podcast. The last thing you went want when a crowd uh, a football team plays so much better at home because their crowd is so atmospheric is someone on the opposition side adding fuel to the fire and Anna's the kind of keeper to do that maybe with a dodgy save or you know a, a dodgy pass out from the back or something like that so my advice to them would just be shoot and my experience of watching Man United play Newcastle because we went up to the ground a couple of weeks ago leaves me with a you know a mind to say that this should be three or four nil to Newcastle because they're a lot better side but yeah. um, if me if United can bring their sort of attacking prowess that they've been showing in the Champions League in the away games in particular, then again that could be another good game. And at some point, you'd imagine the legs are going to set in for Newcastle. But Sean Longstaff's a big player. If he's back from injury, that'll be a big plus for them. But you know, um, Onana Onana did exactly what you just said against Galatasaray. So United were playing like those first twenty minutes or so. We were playing unbelievable football, great attacking, free flowing. And it looked like it was going to be the perfect away performance. I think we both we all mentioned it in the WhatsApp group. And then Onana just throws one in. And it's like, and you're exactly right. The crowd then went mental. They were already quite loud in Turkey. But and it feels like it almost feels like United have to go five nil up just to be sure. Do you know what I mean? Because there's there's a self-sabotage there about them. And the I say the only positives from the last two games has been Luke Shaw's back, which has meant that for some reason, I don't know whether he's the only reason for this, but it's meant that we look more free flowing going forward, and we look we look like um, a better outfit in that respect. It's just a case of can we stop throwing shit in our net? Yeah, you need to quieten the crowd. The blueprint is what you did against Everton because that was a raucous crowd with all the pink banners saying corruption on it. And I'm not saying you're going to have a goal of the decade contender again, but if you can just keep them quiet and frustrated for the first 10, 15 minutes which I don't think United are going to be very good at. But if you can do that and grow into the game, then suddenly the anticipation turns to nerves and you can end up getting a result. A bit like Liverpool when they were down to 10 men. They just stuck stuck at it, stayed in the game. And Man United need to treat it like an away game that they're happy to get a point from, but maybe they can nick something at the end. And that's the way that I could see them getting a result from the game. But um, I think it's more likely to be 2-0 inside 10 minutes and a Man United meltdown on Twitter. I... I am actually, I'm not normally confident on United. I really fancy them Saturday night against Newcastle. Um, the one thing that I would say is Ten Hag's got this thing where he won't play Varane at left centre-back. L- Lindelof can't do any better. He never does any better. He never shows it. There's no way that five times Champs League winning Raphael Varane can beat 
any worse than what Lindelof is for Man United. So I'm hoping that he comes back in. I think Kobe Miney will come back in. Amrabat looks like a, a disaster of a sign-in. I think Rashford will come back in, um, probably on that right-hand side. Garnacho, Hoyland, I would say, but Martial obviously grabbed a goal against Everton, but I imagine Hoyland. I think that we are going to look quite strong in a game for you know one of the few times this season I mean, Newcastle decimate of injuries. And I just think that I think United are due a big win against a big side away from home. And I think it's Saturday night. Well, I hope you're right. Stunned silence. <laughs> uh, well, we'll move on. <laughs> Lauro, Arsenal versus Wolves. Uh, Wolves have so far, I think, beat Spurs, beat Man City, should have got something against United, should have got something against Liverpool. Uh, away at, away from home at Arsenal, Gary O'Neill has obviously been lamenting the recent VAR decisions seem to constantly go against them. Can they upset another big team? No, I, I fancy Arsenal to batter them. And I rate Wolves. I think they've got some really good footballers. But Arsenal, are, Arsenal can punish you. And I think that we are about to see Arsenal go on a really good run and actually pull away a little bit. And there was an interesting debate um, Carragher said on Monday Night Football, I think Jamie Carragher, he said that he doesn't think Arsenal can win the league playing like they're playing at the moment because they're just getting by. And on another day, the goal that they'll score at the last minute against Brentford will go in the other end. And then Gary Neville quoted it and said, "I basically think the opposite. I basically think they're showing that they've got the metal that they haven't had in the past, and the better days are to come." And I'm on that side of the fence. And I think we're about to see. Our, I think they're just clicking into gear. I think Declan Rice has been brilliant all season, but he's He's really coming into his own and becoming a main sort of authoritarian type figure for them. And they're starting to get goals from all over the pitch. Havertz got another one again at the weekend. Uh, uh, another one last night to go at, with his goal at the weekend. Obviously, they hit Lens for six, I think it was, didn't they? So they're full of confidence. I think they're going to go... A lot of their injuries are back now as well. I think they're going to go and batter Wolves. And I think they're going to go on a six, seven, eight, nine, maybe 10 game unbeaten run and pull away at the top of the league. That is a prediction that we'll look back on after Christmas and see what um, comes of. Do you know what? I actually, I don't know about this, the sort of 10 game I'm beating around, but I do agree with you, Laura. I I think last night's result, I know Lens were pretty poor, um, but in just, just in terms of, if you look at, say, Arsenal's preferred front five, yeah, you probably have Havertz, Odegaard, Bukayo Saka, Gabriel Jesus and Gabriel Martinelli. And before yesterday the five of those players hadn't played a single minute together all season. Hmm. And the first time they do it, they score five in the first half. And it's all of a sudden, wow. Like we've spoke, we spoke all season about how they haven't produced their attacking brilliant best, but they're getting the results. And now it feels like I completely agree with you, Laura. We've agreed a lot in this podcast, which is strange, but yeah, it does feel like they could go on a run. And I know Gary O'Neill got a lot of, I guess, praise for not for, for quite a measured response to um, the Monday night football decisions, etc. and VAR. But actually, I thought he'd come across bad. When he, when he spoke about how, I think he made it about his reputation getting damaged because of VAR. And I just thought, yeah. like, mainly speak about Wolves Football Club. It's not about you, but like, that was just my personal opinion on that. And I just think Wolves will get battered. And in this fixture last year, Arsenal won 5-0 and Bakayo Saka and Gabriel Jesus were on the score sheet. I wouldn't put it past Arsenal to do it again. 
Yeah, I think I think bang on. I think Arsenal will um will go and do the business at home. Um, Laurie, you spoke about a potential winning run between now and Christmas. If they are to do that, then they will beat Wolves at home and Luton away, which won't be too much of a shock. But they will then go and win away at Aston Villa, uh, home to Brighton, away at Liverpool, and home to West Ham. So if they do do that, then that's real some big victories in there. And as you say, you know, probably be sat top at Christmas, um, which they might have been doing last year. Uh, but they blew up late. But it looks like they got a bit of a different steel about them this year to me. It's not like free-flowing football where they win that way. They're grinding out results as well. And like Tegel just said, they've got their sort of preferred 11 back at the minute or near enough. So then when you talk about players like Nketiah, like Jorginho, like Trossard, they become that depth, which is what they wanted them to be coming off the bench and making sure that they don't weaken during games rather than those types of players starting and then having to bring on, you know, the youth players or whatever, or the younger boys that haven't got as much experience. So, yeah, that's the justification for me for seeing a good run for Arsenal. But, you know, Villa away there sounds like the big one to me. Someone's going to have to stop that run at some point. Yeah. Um, Liverpool, obviously, keeping the the early pace as well, off the back of a good point um, at Man City. They play, they host Fulham on the weekend. They are playing tonight, obviously, in, in Europa uh, but Tomo, I guess the only question there is, is have you got Salah in your fantasy team and will you be captain him if so? No, I haven't got him. So I'll be, I'll be watching that nervously, to be honest. I'm going to, maybe I'll have to figure out how to get him in because he's getting a hat-trick, isn't he? It just stinks a bit, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, Lauro, Chelsea versus Brighton, some big games um, that, that Chelsea have picked up points in recently, but obviously dropped off a cliff against Newcastle. Uh, feels like they play Brighton quite a lot to me, but um, fancy Brighton to go and get someone at Stamford Bridge? Yes, in a nutshell. I think, I don't know, Chelsea, every time you think Chelsea have turned a corner, they let you down. And they're going to have another bad result. And they would absolutely, I thought they were horrific against Newcastle the other day. I know it was a good Newcastle side, but lots and lots of injuries. They should have been going there thinking, right, this is the time that we sort of turn our promise into something substantial. And they didn't do it. And Brighton, who haven't been at their best this season under Roberto De Zerbi, I don't think, and they've had a, a lot of sort of under par results, um, will maybe see that as a scalp to go and say, look, we're, we're back in the hunt for um, a top six position. So, yeah. I'm actually looking at the odds and Brighton are nearly four to one to win that game. So if anyone's looking for a dabble at the weekend, that's far too high. And I think we we picked up on the Brentford away game a couple of weeks ago and they went and did exactly what we thought. So yeah, four to six at home for Chelsea, I think is is ridiculous. I fancy Brighton to win that game even more having looked at the odds. Yeah, do you know what's crazy? They're, Brighton are unbeaten in five Premier League games against Chelsea. They've won two and drawn three. So... Maybe the the winning odds aren't the best, but um, yeah, I, I I fancy I just fancy Brighton. I think they've that like you know when Deserby was celebrating that win last week after Dunk got sent off, it almost feels like they turned a slight corner after um obviously the bad run of results and the bad injuries. The only thing he did say before the Europa League tie tonight was that they've that Tarek Lamptey's out for a long time and so is that Ansu Fati, who's obviously on loan from Barca. So another couple of injuries to deal with and obviously Dunk suspended. So, and then they're playing tonight. So if they can come through that unscathed, it's a, that's a tough one to call, but yeah, I just, I just, Chelsea, I just don't like them at all. 
I liked that. Just can't I liked that Zerbi after the game where he ran off, didn't he? As soon as it was a full time whistle, he just sprinted down to the away fans and give it large, big licks. I love to see that. He's a, he's a proper character, and you do get that from the Italians. Um, he is Italian, isn't he? Yeah. Yeah, you know, they they wear their hearts in their sleeves. Like, we need characters like that in the Premier League. So hopefully if he ever does leave Brighton, it'll be to maybe one of the top sides here. But yeah, I love that. I don't think you bothered shaking hands, did he? Just sprint I was going to ask, was there, a, was there a handshake or was it straight over to the link? Not that I saw. He was away. he was lightning. He was yeah. gone. He must have done 100 metres in about 10 seconds. Yeah. Oh, no, he was seven, wasn't it? It's only Britney Spears who's in front of him now. <laughs> yeah. yeah, she broke the record in lockdown, didn't she? Yeah. Um, one other side that we got to touch on because uh, we've had bashings on Twitter for it and for some listeners as well is Villa because A, they're two points off top, but B, they're in incredible form. They go away to Bournemouth, Tomo, who've won three of their last four, albeit a bit of a humping at the hands of City in between that. Um, maybe not as easy a fixture as it would have looked for Villa, but fancy them to to keep the pace up with the uh, big boys this weekend? Uh, yeah, probably. Like Bournemouth did, they they beat Sheffield United last last week and looked quite good. But then everyone's sort of battered them, really, haven't they? And um, and just Villa just look imperious. Unai Emery, I think he said in his press conference yesterday that they'll be prioritising the Premier League this season. Um, so I haven't seen their team tonight if it's come out yet or not. But um, which makes me think that that they they think they're in for a proper chance of um qualifying for the Champions League when obviously United struggles, Chelsea struggles this season. Um so yeah, I fancy I fancy Aston Villa to go there, um, win that game. And then like you say in the previous pod, they go to or they've they've got Arsenal and City to come to them, haven't they? In their next couple of games. So yeah. so and I fancy that to be some sort of storyline where if they can win those two games, it's like they're in they're in with a shout at a title. Um yeah, but yeah, I've been mightily impressed with Emery, which is not exactly the shock of the century. No, I think that um, Villa need to learn from that howling Forest game that I always refer to that they lost a couple of weeks ago. Because if they'd won that, they'd be top. So they can't go to Bournemouth um, and be complacent. Bournemouth, I think, have won like three of the last four. They're actually in quite good form, albeit against probably slightly easier opposition. So they've taken um, advantage of a nice run of fixtures, Bournemouth, and now. Villa need to do the same because, like you said, they've got City and Arsenal next. So this is three points that they absolutely need. And then they can go and shake it right up and give City and Arsenal hell over the park and see whether they come out the other side. It could be top of the league. Yeah, top of Christmas for Villa would be absolute scenes. Um, they've got their home tonight at 8 o'clock, Tomo, against that Legia Warsaw. Looks like both of those two sides are pretty much nailed on to qualify. So I wonder if they'll drop a couple of their first names on the team sheet in thinking ahead to Sunday. Yeah, well, they'll play seen... they'll play the stiffs, they'll play the Tillemans of this world. Yeah. Glowing review for Yuri. Uh <laughs> he's um sorry, Villa um well yeah I think won't be prioritizing that but I'm not really seeing that kind of Thursday night game drop off in form for the teams that are playing in it. I can't noticeably see West Ham, Brighton, uh Liverpool, Villa struggling on Sundays uh when they're when they're playing because Thursday night used to be a big thing, didn't it? About playing on Thursdays, your prem form went out the window. But I don't, I don't think it's really. Well, the, yeah. Well, we spoke about it quite a lot. The only team really is Brighton, and that's because of the injuries that, that have been mounting up. And and I think it's their first, their first proper season in Europe, isn't it? So, um, so they've struggled with it. But I, I, that's what it comes down to. Football, really. We we all talk about the tactics and 
and everything that you throw into it. But the reality of it is, is if you've got your best 11 players on the pitch, you'll do all right. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Just a roundup of the other Prem fixtures. So, Forest versus Everton. Fancy some goals there. Uh, Burnley versus Sheffield United. I don't think we can really say any more how much of a victory Vincent Company needs. Uh, if you don't get it against Sheffield United, we'll be back on Monday. I'll be asking you both the same question I ask you every Monday. West Ham versus Crystal Palace. Uh, and finally, Brentford versus Luton. So, I say we'll uh, we'll have a look on Monday at all of that Premier League action uh, and review the kind of key results from that. Move on to the championship. Tomo, so Southampton, again, uh, won, retained the Premier Pod Cup, won, won nil last night against Bristol City. And I think Carl Walker-Peters with a, a rare goal. Yes, and it's 10 unbeaten for Southampton now. Um, they're, they're fourth in the table, one point behind Leeds. And they'll be looking up at Ipswich and Leicester, who, Leicester who drop points again um, to Sheffield Wednesday. So... Yeah, they they look like they're banging form. And who who did you say they've got? Sorry, I'm just. No, I've not said yet. They've got Cardiff, who uh, lost one nil to West Brom in the week. So I think Cardiff have been in good form and up in a, in amongst it. So not a a complete walk. But but it's it's at home. They're ten unbeaten. You just you you fancy them to go go again and get a result. At the end of the day, they've got a lot of quality in their squad. We spoke about it when you've got Carl Walker Peters popping up with a goal. I mean, he's a Premier League right back at the end of the day, like linked with Tottenham, linked with Man United. So it's a bit of a cheat code really in that league. So, yeah. So they'll be continuing to hold the cup you predict against after the Cardiff game. Yeah. Um, Move on to the league leaders, Leicester. They at the weekend play West Brom, uh, who I just touched on beat Cardiff and are in great form. And Loro in Leicester, a side who in the title race slipped up a little bit last night with a late Jeff Hendrick goal. And I think was predicted on the previous podcast by myself that they may drop points against Sheffield Wednesday because that is football. Um, but watching watching the highlights of that game, Sheffield Wednesday were in it and they missed a couple of... Barry Manor went through and should have made it 1-0 early in the game. And then the keeper rushed out and was in no man's land and a better finish probably put some 2-0 up. So... Leicester, actually, I think, you know, they've got out of there a little bit lightly, but having been 1-0 up in the 90th minute or whatever it was, they're probably bitterly disappointed, but they've got that gap, haven't they? The big one is their fixture on Saturday, like you've just mentioned, against West Brom, because they're banging form. They've got to go to Hawthorns that will be revved up, and neither are results really any good for Leeds because West Brom are just behind us, but I'd rather everyone just bunch up together, you know, like a Grand National where um, there's only a couple of horse lengths between the start to finish, so it becomes more exciting for every team involved. For me, Southampton are going to fall away at some point. I don't think they've quite got the grit and the metal that um, some of the other teams do. But for the Leeds United's point of view, I want West Brom to go and beat Leicester at the weekend and shake things right up. And as long as we beat Middlesbrough, everything will be okay. What's quite nice about that West Brom-Leicester as well is the game's at 12.30, so it'll be like the other teams will know the result and one way or another, one of the teams that are banging form and right up there would have dropped some points. So we'll just move on to Leeds, as you say, playing Middlesbrough. Middlesbrough had a great win, 4-0 versus Preston. So, Tomo, well done on your treble pick uh, for that one. And leeds Loro beat Swansea 3-1. Am I right in reading that Joel Pirro kissed the Leeds badge in front of the Swansea fans as well? Yeah. Yeah, he did, and he he gave it big licks after his goal. But I don't. I think that's fine. 
I mean, Joel Pirro's Dutch, isn't he? What's he? What's he care about Swansea? He's playing for Leeds now, biggest club he's ever played for, and it was a big goal. It was a frantic start to the game actually because. Dan James put us one their up or thought he did and the linesman's flag went off. And the funny thing about the championship is no one really remembers the offside goals because there's no vibe and it's like you're back playing within seconds. They're not even talking points, but it looked onside to me. But anyway, I'm glad VAR isn't here. Ipswich then go up the other end and score an unbelievable lob. So this is all in the first two minutes and then not long after Joel Pirro um, latches onto a through ball and manages to put us one up and to rub salt into the rip, uh, wounds for Swansea. Dan James scored against his old club as well. He got the third of the night um, in the middle. In the middle of all that, Jorginho Rutter brought a ball out of the sky and just made everyone on the pitch freeze as he tucked it into the near post. So um, our quality showing, it wasn't the best performance of the season, but individual quality again showing. And it was Rutter, James, Pirro um, and Somerville sort of linking up between themselves to create all of, create and score all of the goals. Yeah, I saw a clip actually, which was probably late in the game and game over, but Bamford had another guilt edge chance as well. Yeah. Not cornering at the near post and put it wide. He must be so, so desperate to hit him. You know, I just had a look as well. I, I was thinking about Perot giving it big licks to the Swansea fans. And I'm, I, in my head, I was assuming that the Swansea fans were giving him stick all game, but he scored in the fourth minute. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> which, and you, you wouldn't barely... hear, you wouldn't. Well, you rarely see that, do you? When when they're all super respectful these days, aren't they? Players about going to their old clubs, just and and I'm not really for it to be honest. But I, when you said that, I just assumed it was like a 50th minute goal, indeed. Um, and he'd been getting loads of stick all game, but fourth yeah, minute, but... no fucks given, shush. And kiss uh, it was at Ellen, it was at Ellen Road though. So he's scoring. If you score in front of that sort of raucous thirty thousand at Ellen Road to yeah. equalise, it doesn't matter. Who, he's not. It's not being disrespectful to Swansea. He's giving it big licks because he's just scored for his team, Leeds United, and yeah. they're in a promotion hunt. So fuck Swansea. And in a world now of social media, you don't have to wait for a fixture to give a player stick, do you? I imagine as soon as he announced he was off to Leeds. Swansea fans would have been on at him if he's on Twitter or Instagram or things like that. So he's probably had that preempted from uh, from when he made the move. Um, but Laurie, just to quickly touch on, you said hopefully beat Middlesbrough. Uh, Michael Carrick's team won 4-0 against Preston um, midweek. But do you fancy Leeds at home there? Yeah, they beat Preston 4-0, but they also lost 3-2 to Bristol City at the weekend. And that's inconsistency that can come from a... Um, a championship side that probably isn't in the automatic promotion hunt. And I think Michael Carrick, given the start of um, the season and probably the inconsistency that he's shown, will probably be looking at a playoff position at best now. Um, but there's probably 10, 10, 12 teams outside the top four that can make the playoffs. And I think they're in that pack. And I don't think they're going to bother us at, at Ellen Road on Saturday. But that's famous last words. Let's wait and see. Yeah, and then Tomo Ipswich, uh, the side that's um, in between Leicester and Leeds, they're now only one point uh, behind Leicester after beating Millwall 3-1. They host Coventry uh, at the weekend, albeit uh, Coventry did win 1-0 versus Plymouth as well. But um, McKenna probably, with the West Brom-Leicester fixture, should be thinking at the end of this weekend they might sit top of the championship. Yeah, and do you know what? I was At the, at the end of the day... Get, like they lost on the weekend, and it can happen in the championship. It, it can happen in any league. But the biggest sort of test of character for a team is what you do in the next game, and um, can always be tricky when they played so poorly. But then to go and win so comfortably, I know 
Millwall are struggling and um, I think Joe Edwards is sort of finding his feet there. But um, to go and win so comfortably sort of shows that they're the real deal for that automatic um, that automatic promotion um, couple of spots because for some reason, just because they got promoted last season, it does feel like Ipswich could potentially fall away at some point. But And obviously, Laura will be hoping they do, but that win makes you think that they are actually... They've got some something about them this season that could 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 mean that they've got some staying power to get automatically promoted. Yeah, I completely agree with that. The most impressive thing about McKenna is sometimes like they I think they've lost three games since February. And sometimes when you lose after win, you know, being undefeated for 10, 12, 15 games, the defeats can become magnified and the doubts can creep in and the next game becomes really difficult. But when they lost to Leeds, they bounced back the next week straight away. And when they lost at the weekend to West Brom, they bounced back last night. And I've got no doubt they're just going to carry on now. And I was looking at the uh, attendances in the championship and I think Ipswich are like fourth top um, attendances in the league. So it feels like they're a League One club coming up and doing well, but really they're just a huge club. They've been in the Premier League before. They've got good manager, good players that can score goals and they've lost three times since February. So we, I think we have to start saying now that Ipswich are the real deal. Yeah, definitely. Um, Connor Chaplin, Broadhead both scored again. They've both got seven goals now. Uh, for Leeds, you got Somerville and Piero both got seven goals. Interestingly, not many Leicester players in, in the top scorers chart. Um, Vardy is top for them and he's normally off the bench. So maybe just a bit of a weakness there for Leicester about getting the ball in the back of the net. Quick quiz question, Laurie, before we move on. Who is the top goal scorer in the championship at the minute? Sammy Smodix, who's having a great season for Blackburn. I think he scored another... I was watching the highlights, he definitely scored a nice little um, lob over the keeper. And he just seems to keep scoring at the moment. And he's sort of taking his time to find his way in the championship. I remember when Bristol City signed him from Colchester about, must have been five or six years ago now. And he never really got in the side. He ended up getting loaned out. I think he was at Peterborough for a while. Um, but he seems to have found a proper home at Blackburn. And they won again. And I think they are now getting the fruits of their labour in terms of the league table position because they've moved up to seventh. Yeah. So another win and maybe they'll find themselves in the playoffs, but they win every week. Yondel Thomason, their manager, that ex-AC Milan striker, goes about his business quietly, but they're obviously a decent side. And when you've got someone scoring lots of goals, you've always got a chance. And quickly, good bit of business from them. They have tied him down to a three-year contract this week. So, and usually with these these strikers that catch fire in the championship, a Premier League come a Premier League club comes knocking in January. So they just tied him down to a new contract. So even if he does leave, it's guaranteed sort of 20, 25, 30 million, isn't it? So good bit of business. Yeah. Uh, goal scorers at Blackburn. Have you seen how much um, Burton Diaz is struggling over in, is he? Is it Villarreal he's at? I yeah, saw the yeah, other day that he's don't like him, struggling, do struggling like hell over there. So I know he changed his surname and became Chilean, but it's really not worked out for him. So it would surprise me to see him back somewhere in England, maybe in January, uh, maybe on loan. But yeah, Blackburn, they go away to Sheffield Wednesday, so they'll be looking to pick up all three there. And if Hull don't beat Watford uh, at home, then Blackburn, if they do get three points, will move up into those playoff positions. So yeah, keep an eye on that. 
Only one fixture in League One because of FA Cup weekend coming up this weekend, boys. That's Northampton versus Portsmouth. Uh, Northampton off the back of a 2-1 win versus Blackpool. Uh, Portsmouth beat Burton 2-0, but they can go back top Portsmouth because of uh, no other sides playing uh, in League One this weekend. So keep an eye out for that one. Something we must talk about, actually. It's probably been the biggest moment on the Pyramid podcast, I'd say, so far. Uh, Barnsley won, Wickham nil. Uh, Tomo, you took social media for the goal that was scored there, uh, and it's absolutely blown up with, I think, millions of views in it on it on the video that we posted, and loads of likes and retweets. And we did a poll about should it count, shouldn't. It seems like some people say it should have, some say it it shouldn't. Some saying it's just straight up match fixing. Just uh, want to bring both you boys in just a little bit about that goal and your thoughts on whether it should have stood or not. Well, so just quickly then, so the the Wickham goalkeeper is, he's got the ball at his feet, like goalkeepers do. It's the 93rd minute, it's nil-nil, so it would be a good result for Wickham if they can hold out. And basically, the striker is what, 20, 30 yards away, and he's just got the ball at his feet, and he's just waiting, as they do, for the striker to run up towards him um, before he picks it up. The striker do- does that, and... He picks it up and the striker sort of leans into him and makes the slightest of touches and the goalkeeper just falls to the ground because he thinks he's going to get a free kick. But it's the slightest of touches. So in no way, shape or form is that ever a free kick. And in the goalkeeper's wisdom, he's dropped the ball as he's fallen to the ground and the, and the striker has got the ball and scored. <coughs> it's an unbelievable mistake. Hence why it went so viral on social media. And you rarely see those kind of mistakes, to be honest. But the goalkeeper got what he deserved. And Lauro, you can come in. I'm sure you agree. I do. I do. It's one of my favourite goals of all time. Because there's <laughs> nothing worse like in that situation as a Barnsley fan. when you All you want to do at football, you want three points. But football's about entertainment. And when goalkeepers or anyone on the pitch, but in this instance a goalkeeper just ruins the game by pausing like that, waiting for the striker to run up to him. I, I, like Sometimes I'm just thinking, I wish you'd just get two-footed, but this was the perfect, perfect <laughs> instance because he got touched. He, he tried to go down calamitously to get a foul. He dropped the ball, and then Sam Crosgrove's there to stick it in the back of the net. And the keeper's looking up as if to say, what the fuck's just happened? Well, what the fuck's just happened is you've let everyone in Wickham down, and you'll never live it down. And I wouldn't be surprised if you'd be sold in January. So, well done to Sam Cosgrove. Well done to Barnsley and getting all three points. And let that be a lesson to anyone out there trying to take the fun out of football with time wasting. We're trying to cut down on it by adding lots of stoppage time. Um, but it's nice to see things like that just getting weaseled out here and there. Lovely moment. Um, Just devil's advocate a bit here, though. So, if A, if VAR was in League One... Uh, or if that was a Premier League game, A, I think that would have been ruled out because they'd have slowed it down and there'd have been contact from the striker and the uh, the goalkeeper would have had two hands on the ball. And I know the ball doesn't come out from that. It comes out when he throws himself to the floor, but I definitely think it would be ruled out. But if you were in a Premier League game, I know the striker wouldn't have the ball in his hands, but if he had his ball, if he had the ball at his feet and the keeper came and hit into him like that without making contact on the ball, would you not be up in arms for a penalty for that? Do you not think it's a foul on the goalkeeper? No. No, No, definitely not. It's just, no. No, I know you're playing devil's advocate for the sake of this conversation, but it's absolute 
horse well, no, and i don't even think var listen i don't even think var as incompetent as it has been this year would give that as a foul on the goalkeeper seriously it was that well well done to the referee because it just wasn't a foul there was no force the keeper's thrown himself to the ground do you know what I mean? And then how it comes out of his hands, I, I still don't know. He's yeah. made a grave, grave error. I think in his head he's thought, oh, I've gone to the ground. I'm definitely getting a free kick. Oh, fuck, the ball's gone. <laughs> Before you know it's in the back of the net. But no, I, it, maybe VAR would have given that. But there's just another um, incident that shows you why we don't need VAR. The referee's done a magnificent job there. And Barnsley have won 1-0, rightly so. I, I, I agree with you as well. The goal should too. But that poll... It had 30,000 people vote on it. And I think around 40% just under voted that no, that goal shouldn't have stood. So that is 12,000 votes on that that don't. No, but that, that is proof that uh, 40% of people on Twitter are arseholes. Oh. Or Wickham fans. <laughs> or Wickham fans, yeah. Yeah, there's no way we've had that many chair boys on doing our, <laughs> doing our vote. Um, Just quickly as well, Tomo. You can't say 40% of Twitter fans are arseholes because they're all our valuable listeners. So an apology on behalf of the Pyramid Podcast for <laughs> Tomo's outburst there. Right, 40% are wrong then. There you go. Uh, just a little bit, boys, on the uh, rest of the midweek action. There's no no other games to talk about, but um, same with League 2. A bit of a midweek action uh, of draws, and it might just be that big sides were playing each other, but... Third versus first, Oxford versus Bolton finished nil-nil. Uh, Bolton being the only side that let the pyramid pod treble down. Um, and they were banging on the door late as well um, there. So they might look back on it as a uh, two points dropped. But Well, Bolton didn't let us down, did they? Loro did. Well, yeah, it was his selection, but I didn't want to be... I think we need to stick together with this treble because it's getting desperate now. Um, I've had calls for it to be scrapped. Well, that's uh, Tigo. He's a divisive character. He's just called half of Twitter basically, and now he's calling me out for, <laughs> for selecting Bolton. So, yeah, yeah. you do you, Miguel, but I'll, I'll be I'll be back on the on the treble this week, hoping to uh, hope, hope to bring some joy. But how many is that now? We must have done fifteen or so of these. Yeah, I think it's one hundred and fifty quid down for our listeners. So, um, yeah, we'll we'll come on to it. We'll hope to win some of that back this weekend. But yeah, it's uh, it's not looking good. Stevenage 2, Peterborough 2, 4th versus 5th there, so uh, points shared there. One team that did win in 6th place, Paul Warns Derby, name check every week. They're now three points off a third as well. They went and won 1-0 away at Port Vale. Um, and then just one mention for uh, a man who's absolutely on fire, who I think we touched on in earlier pods. Alfie May scored twice again for Charlton. He's now up to 14 goals for the season. Uh, he scored goals for Cheltenham before. But I think he was it against Cheltenham actually. I think midweek. Yeah. I think he raced yeah. two penos and up to fourteen. Yeah, and a quick stat on Alfie May: uh, joint with Erling Haaland for league goals in twenty twenty three. And given that we're in November, he must have had some year. Yeah, that is some year. Be nice to see Charlton back up. Actually, they feel like a big side who shouldn't be down in in League One, but they never, never seem to be in amongst it either. Um, and just finally, just to circle back to that Barnsley goal as well, that was Sam Cosgrove's first goal for Barnsley as well so far this season. I think, was he at Plymouth last year, Laura? So he was somewhere. Yeah, he was. He, yeah, yeah, he was at Plymouth. Um, had some loan spells as well, randomly. He was really good at Aberdeen. He had a spell at Aberdeen about three or four years ago and scored goals. And I think it was Plymouth that brought him over. Or maybe Birmingham, actually. Birmingham brought him over, ended up at Plymouth, um, dotted around a few clubs. He ended up like Shrewsbury or somewhere like that. Um, but Barnsley's a good club for him. So 
maybe an incident like that where he's gone viral um, thanks to the Premier podcast can help boost him back up into the goals and into uh, some better form. Yeah, we could be the catalyst of Cosgrove's Barnsley career through that viral clip. So, yeah, good luck to him. Uh, I say draws all around the FL, move on to League Two. First place, Stockport drew 0 0 with Salford. Uh, second place, Wrexham went to Harrogate and drew 2 all. Fourth place, Mansfield drew 2 all with Tranmere. And fifth place, Crew drew 1 all away at 24th place, Sutton, which would be a real sickener. But one side that did win was Barrow, who won 2 0 against Warsaw and they're now up into third. Um, so yeah, no League Two action. I don't think this weekend, from what I can uh, recall, because of the FA Cup. But yeah, those uh, there were some weird, weird results midweek. Just moving um, on, another goal, another goal for Jake Young as well at Swindon. Ah uh, yes, yeah, they they did they win four two. No, they they were four 0 up, weren't they? And in the ninety first minute, and then Accrington scored three That's right. between ninety second and then I was going to say ninety tenth, but the hundredth minute. Yeah. Um and and did you yeah. see and did you see as well when they went four three when it went to four three, Accrington had a chance cleared off the line. So it oh, could have been could have been four all. Mental. Christ, imagine that. Yeah. Charlie Austin scored as well for Swindon off the bench, so it looks of it. Um go to the FA Cup, Lauro. We touched on it in the earlier pod, but uh, Yeovil go to Wrexham, a bit of a Hollywood tie, if you will, for the Glovers. Yeah, um, I think it's the battle of the owners, isn't it? We're both owned by two um, sort of highly reputable, famous across the globes um, gentlemen. Obviously, Ryan Reynolds of Hollywood stardom and um, Martin Hellier of Somerset. I think he's getting a helicopter in on Sunday afternoon for the the game at 3.30. And it'll be interesting to see because one part of me thinks that although we're in the National League South, Yeovil, we're playing far above that level. We're like a really good National League team, I think. And I think we've shown that by beating Gateshead and Southend in the FA Cup this season. But then you've got to say that Wrexham are really a League One club, aren't they, playing in League Two? Because they'll be up this season and they've got you know all the players and all the money in the world. So it'll be a very difficult game. I think it's going to be... Uh, like a League One versus National League team uh, type of game. But we had that in the last round and Chesterfield ended up beating Portsmouth. So, like I said on the last pod, if we were coming off into this game off the back of our 14-game winning streak, I'd have actually quite a lot of confidence. But obviously our form's dipped a little bit and it'll be interesting to see how we how we react. The last time that Reese Murphy played for us against Wrexham, he scored a hat-trick at their place. And we've also got Jake Hyde, who we signed from Wrexham in the summer. So a couple of side stories there. And yeah, hopefully the Glovers can can pull up, pull off, I can't believe I'm saying it, an upset against Wrexham because we were about four leagues above them 10 years ago. But that's football. And uh, yeah, 75800 Yeovil fans going up. It's quite a long way, four hours from here, Wrexham. So that's good to see as, as well. And hopefully we'll get a bit of the magic of the FA Cup. Is it on, is it on TV? ITV, ITVX. Sunday afternoon. Is that a channel or a stream? That's a streaming service, yeah. But yeah, I, just, I saw it was on Sunday at 3.45, so assumed it was um, on yeah. TV somewhere, yeah. Correct. Yeah, I mean, not that you can beat like, going to a game, but that's fair play to Yeovil fans, because that's, that's quite a trek, in it, to, to North Wales when it's available to stream or on TV, so fair play to them. And as you say, that whole kind of Wrexham should be 
uh, a League One side and Yeovil, a National League, has just been proven that it's possible by Chesterfield uh, going to win at Portsmouth. Chesterfield look likely to go up to League Two and, and Portsmouth maybe the Championship. So very doable. Yeah, I mean, I would say that you'd expect Wrexham to rest some players because they're, obviously their main thing for them is just getting promoted to League One this season. Um, but you'd imagine that they'll probably want to get to the third round and have a chance of a big money. Like, imagine if Wrexham got like Man United in the. They want Man United, don't they? They played the they played their played them in um, preseason, didn't they? Out in America, but United had a game the the day before, so we sent the under twenty ones, and one of them punched Paul Mullins. Yeah. Like, they'll yeah, love, yeah, yeah, they'll want a big prem side. Um, a if they're still doing their documentary for that, but that will be a real big. Oh, game. Of course they will be. Of course, I was having that conversation today. I think I mean Wrexham will be in the championship for me within the next probably three years. But imagine that, that documentary if they get to the Premier League within the next seven years, which they could do. They're owned by one of the richest blokes going, so that story will continue. And if they get to the third round of the FA Cup and play a Man United and the whole hysteria around. The, you know, the Reynolds thing, the documentary, the pre-season drama with the Paul Mullen. That'd be an amazing thing to happen. It wouldn't surprise me if it did happen. Yeah, Football's um, got a funny way of throwing these stories together, hasn't it? Looking forward to that. In Amongst Super Sunday, having that as well will be a yeah. lovely touch. A uh, couple of other ties just to discuss. So, Oldershot versus Stockport. So, Stockport, top of League Two. Oldershot, last time out, beat uh, Swindon 7-4 in the FA Cups. They'll be looking to overturn another League Two side. It will be at the team at the top of the table. Chesterfield, who beat Portsmouth uh, last time out. They're obviously top of the National League. They've got Leighton Orient. I think you'd fancy Chesterfield there, uh, even though higher opposition. And then just the lowest ranked side still in the competition, Ramsgate, go to Wimbledon. Then They're in the eighth tier of English football, which if Yeovil are sixth or fifth, that no, must be about your level, wouldn't it? I'm nine. Right, fair enough. Yeah, yeah well, Ramsgate beat Woken in the last round and effectively, I think, cost Darren Sowell's job there. So, um, over, I think it was a drew the first one and then one away. It was. It was the replay. So, um, yeah, they beat a National League side effectively over two legs. So, fair play to them. I mean, not that that tier would probably be a, a step too far for me anyway, but the fact that that's only one level above, it's quite funny in it. There must just be lads whose mates are just suddenly for Ramsgate, like, oh, who've you got the weekend? Oh, Wimbledon away in the second round of the FA Cup. Yeah. Obviously at the pub yeah, after yeah. that. That's, that's what the FA Cup's all about, isn't it? Magic just, uh... of the FA Cup. Just one as well to look for, look for as well. Um, Barnsley got chucked out of the FA Cup, didn't they, for fielding in, in, in a, in uh, a yeah. player and um, yeah. Horsham got reinstated. Um, and they go to Who's Sutton. They, they go to okay. Sutton. Obviously, it'll be a tough game. But imagine if they get the win after being re- after losing early on in the in the um, yeah. And Sutton are bottom of the league as well. So maybe they got, got they haven't got much winning form. Sutton and some you know kind of losing breeds that negativity, don't it? That'd be a great story if Horsham got through, and then you start getting the championship and the uh, and the prem sides in. If Yeovil did get past Wrexham, that I'd love a big tie. Maybe even Yeovil leads Loro down at Hewish Park. That'd be good. I know that was a league game not that long ago, but uh, just quickly. Yeah, Yeovil I don't, I, I don't like it when that happens. Yeovil leads FA Cup. Would you be Glover or, or Super White? It would mean more to Yeovil. Yeah, very so. diplomatic. Well done. Right, boys, we'll finish with the treble. Uh, Tomo, do you want to go first this week? Yeah, sure. I've gone um, Southampton. Uh, like I said previously, I'm beating in ten. I know it's a tough, a tough game. Cardiff also in half decent form. 
um, and looking to get promoted themselves. But Southampton at home, so fancy them. Perfect. And Laurie? I've gone crew at home to Bristol Rovers in the FA Cup. Then around about two to one. And I don't think there's a, a crew of flying high at the moment in uh, in League Two. And I don't think there's an awful lot of difference between the sort of top half of League One and the bottom half of, sorry, the top half of League Two and the bottom half of uh, League One. Bristol Rovers are 11th for the minute, so just outside the bottom half. But they're sort of, um, you know, they've lost they lost Joey Barton as the manager, don't they? And I think they're still managerless at the moment. So maybe it'll be a, a difficult trip to... Um, Gresty Road or whatever they call Crew Stadium now. So two to one was just a bit too much for me to pass up. Yeah, and I've gone whole uh, home to Watford at just a shade above Eva's three to twenty. So with that, Crew at nineteen to ten versus uh, Bristol Rovers and Southampton three to five at home to Cardiff. I think comes out about sort of eight nine to one. So let's keep the faith. Hopefully, this is our time. Uh, boys, that's all we got time for. We'll obviously be back on Monday where we'll review all the weekend action. And we've got a bit of a treat as well because uh, we've got midweek prem action next week, uh, Tuesday and Wednesday. So we'll look ahead to those games as well. So pleasure as always. Have a great weekend. Cheers, boys. One, Thank two, you. three.